Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. Arian, tell me, tell me a little bit about where you started, man. What does powerlifting look like? Yeah, I mean, I've always been into lifting weights since like, I don't know, middle school, high school, but, you know, I didn't really know what powerlifting was. I would just lift and waste, you know, get bigger and stronger, everything like that. I started learning more about powerlifting and getting into powerlifting when I went to school at Florida State University. They had like a weightlifting club there. So I joined the weightlifting club and they were doing like, you know, some people were doing powerlifting, some people were doing strongman, some people were doing weightlifting. And then we had a person there that was getting his uh, PhD there, Dr. Michael Zordos. And he's the one who kind of like knew more about powerlifting and USA powerlifting. And it's like, hey, let's get a bunch of people that want to sign up for a competition in Florida and let's all go and do it. So in February 2011, that's when we all competed for the first time uh, in USA powerlifting. And from there, just, you know, stuck around and just did more and more over time as far as, you know, running meets, refereeing meets, scoring, spotting, loading, announcing, coaching, whatever is needed. Dude. Why? So, what keeps you in the community? Why are you still like? Why are you still around? I, 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 that not to be not to be rude, but like, what keeps you coming back? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I guess it's a, a good question because anyone who's been around a while knows that like a lot of people don't stick around. There's a good group of people who might just do one competition and then they disappear. Maybe they do one year, or if they're part of the high school team or the college team, they'll do it through and then they kind of move on with their life. But there are some people that have stuck around for a long time. So I always tell people like, you know, like Jen Thompson, who's been around over 20 years, or like Dave Ricks has been around like over 30 years, or whatever. So there are some people that stick around. And, and for me, it was just, you know, something fun to do first with my friends as part of the Florida State University team, but then just getting more involved as we all got more involved into powerlifting and just fitness in general. So some of my friends opened up gyms, both in Florida and up in New York, and then some of us became coaches. So we just became more and more involved. And as you do more things, then you're like deeper and deeper. So it's like, okay, I'm a coach first. Then you're like, okay, let's run a meet. Now you have all this meet equipment and all this experience and stuff. You're like, okay, now let me referee. And now you're going around refereeing all the meets. And now you just get more and more ingrained into the sport. That's hilarious. It, it really is the way that it, it kind of, it just sucks you in, but they're like the people that do stick around. They're just so good. It's hard not to want to stick around. You know, I just, I just had Jen Thompson on uh, yesterday and like, it's fun to hear about her stories and how she's been able to see the sport grow. And you're very similar. You've been able to see it grow uh, since 2011 and, and to where it's at now, it's grown so much so fast. Definitely. Definitely. Even though I still consider myself like on the newer side from 2011, because yeah, there's like so much more before that, before even raw division existed and all that stuff like that. Um, but even, yeah, for me, it's like, we used to like, print out our entry form and mail it in with a, a money order or a check and you didn't know who was on the roster for the meet and like the first we went meet we went into was maybe like you know 75 85 percent men there's only a few women competing and the and most of the few women that were competing were from our florida state team that we were bringing and so just to see it grow from there how big it is now with social media and and live streaming meets and um having you know some meets we've run in new york city that have more women competing than men and so it's just grown in, in many different ways you guys have more women than men we've we've had some some uh meets that we've run where we just got just happened to be out of the 100 120 entries we got we had more women and and a lot of times 
I've noticed, I don't know if you ever noticed this, sometimes for these um, women's sessions, you actually get a bigger crowd. It could be like, you know, maybe people want to see them compete. It could also be like, they're more likely to ask friends and family and stuff to come. And so we get like maybe three or four spectators per female athlete for some of these competitions and they come with signs and they come with flowers for them and they come cheering and they go crazy and then when it gets to like maybe the final session of super heavyweight men the crowd kind of like dies out and stuff like that so there's there's <laughs> some interesting changes going on that's hilarious i mean it definitely i feel like a lot of went like just so, such a better support like not always but there's a, such a support system that are like built around women especially like, just promoting strength in this as a as a woman in this in this society it's it's huge and so i mean you have a lot of people that are there to support that which i mean hell yeah all day you know like come and support your girls you know that's that's it's so cool to to hear because i was very similar where most of the meets were pretty much always dudes and then when i was in i started in high school and we would have like this like three racks four racks full of dudes uh four guys per rack that are lifting and then you have one rack of like four girls over in the corner with their own coach and then now it's it's there's so much crossover and a lot of times a lot of the the women you tend to tend to post more on social media so i feel like they're they're growing um that much more as well yeah definitely and and for us at Florida State University, we used to like train at the commercial gym. So we try and like work in at the school gym with like, you know, the one rack or two racks. And so you have to just kind of work in with whoever. Um, and then we end up getting a uh, a lab because our, our guy, Dr. Zoros, who's doing his PhD. He ended up getting a, a room and having like two racks in there and like a Dello platform. We just split it by height because it was just easier that way without having to adjust rack heights. It's like, okay. People who are low on the shorter side here, people who are low on the taller side here, will change the weights regardless whether you're man or woman, strong or weak, whatever like that. And so we just like, you know, learn to work in that way and everything like that. And and uh, eventually we built out the lab more and more to have more space so we can like separate everyone out and have better equipment, all stuff like that. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely changed now even more with powerlifting gyms. You have uh, combo racks where you can change the rack heights and everything like that so now everyone can work in together you don't have to have all the dudes just hogging one section and then the, the women on one side by themselves now i feel like there's there's so many women that are benching and, and squatting what guys are benching and squatting you just everyone's kind of you know you can you can integrate so well you were you the so does this mean that you were the first powerlifting team at fsu I don't know what was around before us or may have been like with a lot of universities, some clubs, you know, will have like good membership and will build out. And then maybe if someone like leaves as president, it kind of dies off and then someone has to kind of reform it. So I'm not sure if there was um, a club or anything like that. There is um, a big time bencher, Jeremy Hornstra, who still lives in Florida, who used to go to Florida State. And he said when he was around like back then, there was nothing around. So it, it may have been that someone... Um, kind of started the club and then like our group kind of really built it up and since we've kind of built it up and uh, my buddy Jordan Burke started before me maybe 2008 or 2009 he started building up the Wailton Club till now it's kind of been pretty steady and what's helped it as well more recently since I left is that one of the guys from our club opened up his own gym in Tallahassee so now there's a, a powerlifting gym in Tallahassee where everyone can train at and it's more consistent now you always have powerlifters there he's always like teaching people building out new coaches and then also having the club involved there keeps it more alive what an environment to be in in Florida on a powerlifting team at FSU 
I mean, it just it sounds like a fun time, but a dangerous time. <laughs> it, it definitely, it definitely was. And uh, yeah, I mean, Florida State's one of the biggest party schools, so like obviously we're trying to party a lot, but also like limit the partying. Like, okay, I got to get stronger too. So like I would try and like be strict on myself, like going into competition. Like okay, the last like four weeks or last six weeks, like I'm not going to drink. I'm going to really focus on my nutrition, really focus on my sleep and really get through these uh, workouts and stuff to like execute on the meet. And then after the meet, go back to partying. That's pretty much how it was. At least, at least in my experience here at Texas A&M, we are, are, we definitely had a a pretty large community. And so it was always like, what are we going to do after even training days? You know, that was one of my favorite experiences is like you know we train sundays tuesdays and thursdays for like mandatory practice and then mondays wednesdays and fridays for a voluntary and fridays were usually like, like mobility and stuff but on those other days it was uh or on, on after our uh, mandatory days we would go and like what are we gonna have for dinner like let's get together and, and go and do something and so Sometimes it would it would end up like oh we're gonna have a couple beers and lead in into or we're gonna go to this guy's house and other times it was just like the fact that we had that community there allowed for that experience to exist and like the friendships you can create and and you know we were talking about you know, if you're in this for a long time you build those relationships even at the very start you have so many cool people that you get to meet because for whatever reason I feel like the sport attracts a lot of very intelligent individuals but a lot of just down to earth people that know what it is to work right it's it's the coolest combination of people yeah definitely um like i got my degree in mechanical engineering and then i switched over to coaching but i run into a lot of people who are some type of engineer that are like into lifting weights and then get into powerlifting um the guy who was head of the weightlifting club jordan burke he was a wrestler before he got into powerlifting and there seems to be a decent amount of wrestlers and wrestlers are very like hardworking and they just like you know grind through and also they know weight classes and how to water cut so when they come out of the powerlifting like oh i can grind through this workout and i can water cut and make weight for the competition so yeah you get those certain personalities that come in there but obviously now as it's expanding you get all kinds of personalities all kinds of people at work various jobs and you would never know like they may be some ceo of some big company and then they're just like you know squatting 500 pounds on the side for fun one of my one of my most recent clients is a dentist, and we always joke like he's the he's the strongest dentist in the nation. He's like one he's a one sixty, and he's like right now deadlifting like five fifty, right? It's insane numbers, and like he's he's doing well. Like it's it's cool. It's like you're definitely like you're over these people and like jacked, but people can't. If you have your white coat on, no one can really tell. Uh, but you definitely get so many people. It's the coolest thing. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the weight classes uh, help with that too. So you don't have to be like, you know, some 300 pound, like muscled up dentist, whatever you can be the 165 pound dentist who happens to just be super strong as well. Hell yeah. I love it, man. So like, so what was the transition from, I guess, do you still practice engineering? Is that still something you do or is coaching your full-time thing? Coaching is my, my full-time thing. I bounced around like some engineering jobs. It was difficult finding a job. So like I would apply for jobs and not get anything. My dad has a alarm company and an air conditioning company. So I'd work with him in the meantime. And then like the only job offer I got at some point was in Tulsa, Oklahoma for like a temporary six month contract. So I packed all my stuff, went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, worked that job for six months. And they did offer me full time, but I didn't really like it there. It was like a smaller town. All the engineers were like, way older than me and everything like that and i was like trying to get out of there to come back to florida and they were like well we recommend you stay here for like three to five years 
and, you know, learn more about the company and then transfer to a different location. So I was like, okay, do I want to stay here three to five years or do I want to just go back to Florida and then try to find something in Florida? So I left, came back home, worked with my dad again, tried to find jobs, but it was like difficult. I would get some interviews, but it wouldn't go anywhere. So that's like in 2013. That's when I started getting slowly a little bit back into powerlifting and more involved. So I became a referee, uh, went to nationals when it was in Orlando in 2013 and competed. And so from there, I just got more involved um, helping out in Florida underneath Robert Keller. So helping out with his meets, trying to get into coaching, trying to get into running meets. And I just stopped applying for engineering jobs and just did more and more in powerlifting until now I've gotten to a point where it's just my full-time job. That's crazy cool. Like, I think to to even say that your full-time job is to be in powerlifting is almost a dream come true, at least for like, like powerlifters that had started out and were like, it wasn't, I feel like it wasn't a career when you, like, it wasn't even an idea that it could be a career. It's like, or maybe it was an idea, but it wasn't like a reality. It's like, eh, that sounds like fun, but I got to go get a real job, right? But the, because it's grown so much, it really has obviously allowed some cool opportunity. What is it like running, a, like even running a meet? I mean, I, I feel like I have so many questions. So we're just going to, we're going to just continue to ask them as they come out. I mean, I just, you have so much experience. So what is it like running meet? Yeah, I mean, as far as running a meet, it's like very much like you just have to be a, like a project manager. You have to like schedule everything out in advance and know when you have to do things as far as whatever you have to purchase, you know, getting referees and spars and loaders and all that kind of stuff. And then as it gets closer and closer to competition, that's like when the stress level goes up because like the day or the weekend, depending on how many days you're doing the competition, that's just when you're at the meet all day, you're waking up early in the morning, opening up, you know, doing weigh-ins, everything like that, dealing with all the hecticness of, of stuff. Um, and there's always something that goes wrong regardless. Um, and so you have to just deal with all that stuff. And then finally, like, once you're done with the meet, you're like so tired, but you have to like pack everything up, mail out drug tests, pay for everything. So it's just like a very stressful weekend. Um, and you just have to, you know, force yourself through it. So like, for example, our first meet that we ran, the thing that went wrong is, uh, Robert Keller mailed us uh, a scale to use. He's like, Hey, I'll just set, mail you my backup scale. You guys can use it for the meet. No problem, whatever. So I guess he had never opened up or used it. He just has a backup and he mails it and it gets there Friday afternoon before the meet. And on the box, it says it's rated for 180 pounds, not 180 kilograms. So we're like, what the hell? So I open it up. I plug yeah. it in like, okay, let me stand on this. Let me see what it says because I'm like 200 plus. And so I stand on it and it's like error. So it's like, crap, we don't have a scale. What do we have to do? So one of my uh, clients who is also refereeing the meet, she had like a digital scale at home. And we're like, hey, go to this place and get it calibrated and bring it. And we'll use your scale that has a higher max to it. And it was like Friday afternoon, places are closing down. So she had to like bribe the guys with like a six pack of beer to stay open to like calibrate the scale like 6 or 7 p.m the night before meet so we can run the meet so there's always things like that that come up but the better you plan in advance as far as everything and trying to have backup you know referees backup spotters you know all that kind of stuff like that it helps to be a little bit less stressful once the meet happens Oh man, I love I love project management. It's it's so fun when you see it go well, and then like having you're forced to think on your feet with it. when your project is that short of a timeline, like or like your the execution of like I, I was building houses, and so I have like six to eight months to finish the project. It's a little bit different. Like I can plan six to eight months out for a house, but or for for a meet. But when it comes down to meet day and performance day, you have that one shot. Like there's just it's so much that that an athlete that a good um 
a good meet director will do so the athlete doesn't ever have to even think about you know the complications that are going on behind the scenes but there's a lot of hectic stuff that goes on yeah that's that's definitely like um a good like barometer is like when i hear people like after the meet come and tell me like oh man the meet was awesome like everything was perfect like you start on time blah blah and i'm thinking back in my head like oh we had this mess up we had this thing we had to resolve this issue but they never got to see the aspect they're just like on the on the front side of it they don't see the behind the scenes of all the things we had to deal with i'm like okay if they don't notice it or they didn't even get to like be affected by it then yeah we ran a good meet and and doing those basic things is like you know communicating through emails in advance of the meet so people know you know what session they're in their flights all that kind of stuff like that making sure you start on time and then doing your best to like you know finish on time so they're not there you know hours later than they're expected a lot of times that's enough to keep them happy oh yeah and so is there support from usapl to are, are you competing are you usapl or are you pa Right now, I'm, I'm with the IPF, so uh, I, I was doing USAPL, you know, from 2011 until the whole fallout and running meets from, like, I think, like, 2014 or 15 until 2019. Um, right now, since, like, COVID and everything like that, I've helped out at other meets, but I haven't run any of them myself. So, more experience with the USAPL rather than the PA. Um, I, I mean, at this point, I mean, does it, do you want to help run some PA meets in the future? we'll see like just in general aside from the fallout like once like a uh, covid hit and like you know everything got canceled it kind of like one shut everything down so like i'm not doing anything then once things picked back up it was like like trying to catch up like oh let's run a bunch of meets and let's get nationals in everything to get back up and so i was just busy working so many meets in florida and and nationals and even we were doing a north american championships in orlando kind of right before the whole ipf split and everything so it was just really hectic so i didn't have time to like really run my own meet or even compete like I haven't competed since 2019 bench nationals because there just wasn't time then after the whole fallout it's it's tough because you're trying to figure out as like a coach which direction to go so for now I went to the IPF as far as coaching but then also like powerlifting America is a brand new federation there aren't a lot of members and so like running a meet where are we going to get we used to maybe get like 60 to 80 in South Florida 100 120 in New York City but now what if we what if we run a meet and we only get 20 and it's like okay can we cover the cost and everything like that is it even worth it or just have people kind of who want to do powerful America congregate to like, you know, a few meets a year and get more lifters per uh, fewer meets. And then people who want to do USAPL. There's plenty of meets still here in Florida for them. Gosh, it just, it, it's, uh, I don't know. This is maybe a, maybe a sensitive topic here, but the, the split, man, it's just, it, I, I feel like, I feel like I've talked about it so much lately, but it, it makes it difficult for athletes that are in the like that are in a city that don't have like that it's so sparse to it's so hard to find a pa meet like ipf is is this gold standard that i feel like we all had for a very long time and our route was through i the usapl ipf it was simple right at least from from an athlete's perspective super simple uh now it's you know it's just it's difficult to to even find a meet if you want to go to the IPF. Definitely. And the first year was like a little bit easier because there was no qualifying tool for nationals. So you can just go do nationals for, as your first meet and then go to IPF for your second meet. Now they put the qualifying total 
um, where for some some of the divisions, it's an actual total for some of them, it's just doing the empty bar. But it's okay, now I have to find a local meet to qualify. So now it's like, okay, how far do you have to go for a local meet just to qualify, do the empty bar, 75 kilos, whatever, to then go to nationals. Um, they're still trying to help some people out. For some of the nationals, they have like a qualifier meet the day before. You just come lift, you know, the bar away in and qualify for the next day and go be at nationals. But yeah, it's still difficult and then it's also more costly that way that you might have to travel to another state just to do a local meet to then turn around and go to nationals and then go to world so then you're you know paying for flights and hotels and everything like that for three meets in one year possibly support for ben thinking is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code THINKING at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 16 million balls. I got my lawnmower and weed whacker recently and i immediately put the weed whacker inside of my nostrils no nicks no snags and i have never been able to smell things as good as after i used the crop the weed whacker the crop preserver makes my balls smell nice every single day that i'm in the gym and of course we love that get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code thinking at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code thinking unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped it's just it makes oh man i just i just want athletes to compete i just you know like i just want people to have a, a place to go that they can just enjoy enjoy the beautiful sport and just build a community like that's where i built so many of my friends and so it's 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 really cool that there's maybe that that the sport is growing but it's it's weird the way that it is growing i mean it's it's gonna come to a time i'm sure that one day we have like a like a ufc right like a like a big huge thing i mean i hope right hopefully we get that yeah. big like we have this ufc kind of idea where we're like everybody is able to just go right and you have these other i think you have like ball four or bell four and then you have a couple different other fighting institutions but you have a gold standard You uh, froze on me there. Oh, man. Am I back? Yeah, you're good. You are saying about, yeah, having the UFC style. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, you just have a bunch of athletes get sponsored and, like, like make some good money. And not everybody's making a lot of money. But, like, you're able to, like, if you are, like, a Conor McGregor, right? If you are, I, I guess, in, in our space, like a, like a Jen Thompson. Like, you're making, a, like, more than a living wage and you can branch out and then, you can do like, you know, he did proper 12. You can do your own wraps. You can do your own, you know, whatever, but coaching seminars, stuff like that. And I think that it creates a lot of opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And, and I try and like kind of compare it to UFC as well. Cause UFC was like, you know, you go back 20 years and it was so small 
and people were like, oh, this is like people beating the hell out of each other. No one's gonna ever going to watch this. Or even like Dana White had said like, oh, we're never going to have women in the UFC. And now he has all these women's divisions and all these big names like Ronda Rousey and, you know, Amanda Nunes. And so there's these big changes that happen in 20 or 30 years. So it's like, okay, maybe Palfin can have some big changes as well. And also with mixed martial arts, there's different organizations out there. So if you want to go do like bare knuckle boxing, you can, if you want to go UFC, if you want to go to one fighting, whatever it is in Japan or whatever, you can go do that one. So here as well in Palfin, there's options. And then also, yeah, the different ways to make money. So a lot of people just look at oh, oh, this fighter made you know only a hundred thousand for their fight, but you don't look at what they're making off of sponsors, what they're making off of you know merchandising, and, and if they do coaching or if they have their own gym and stuff. So it's the same thing. I kind of try and compare it to like Russell Orhi because he was like you know a big YouTuber and he makes money off of YouTube. Then he got into powerlifting. Then he opened up his own gym, makes money off of his gym. Then he starts his own equipment and apparel, is making money off of that. And so yeah, he's able to build up his brand name off of powerlifting, even though he's not making much money or any directly off of the competition, he can make a ton of money off these other ways. He is absolutely killing it. It is crazy to see that his, his growth is, he's also an insane athlete. I mean, yeah, insane athlete, but it, and, and so it validates that brand. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of the way it goes, but he's just, he's, he's brought a lot of attention to the sport. Definitely. And we're, I think we're starting to get more people to kind of fall in that footstep and they're seeing, okay, there's coaches that can make a living off of this. There's athletes like Russell or he can make a living off of it. Why can't I do it as well? So when you look at a lot of the top athletes out there, you're like, oh, well, this guy is a coach or this guy runs a gym or this person also has their own clothing or, you know, whatever has a bunch of different sponsors. And so there's more and more top athletes that can make the majority or maybe all their money off the sport and don't have to have like a typical nine to five job anymore. It's so cool, man. So I want to hear a little bit more about like your style of coaching. Like what, how, how, I guess, let, let's, I guess, start with, yeah, let's start with your, your coaching background. And then I want to talk about your, your relationship with TSG um, and then how maybe your coaching has adapted since. For, for sure. As far as my coaching background, like I said, I got my degree in mechanical engineering. So I'm someone who just like transitioned to coaching just by learning as much as I can, like learning online through elite FTS or YouTube videos or whatever I can find. Um, and then also just like trial and error, trying things out on myself, trying things out on friends, starting off like coaching people for free and building it up from there. So trying to get as much like on the job experience as possible since I didn't have like the background, you know, degree and experience there. Um, as far as the style, when we were at Florida State, we did a lot of what's called daily undulating periodization. Uh, that's what uh, our buddy Dr. Soros was doing his uh, research study on there. And we were actually uh, um, a part of his research study. So we did, you know, daily undulating periodization as part of a research study and also different styles. Like uh, I've done like small up for squat a couple of times. I've done small up junior for bench press. So that's the kind of approach um, for, you know, 10, 15 years that we took. And it just changed a little bit over time as far as, you know, what kind of variations you want to put in there? Do you want to put a top single and then your back offsets um, using the DUP style? And then also, you know, some of the periodization styles, can you can blend it. So it's like, you know, daily undulating, maybe on a smaller scale, but on a bigger scale, it can be a little bit more block periodization. So we have like, you know, a preparatory block when we're far out from a competition, a, um, you know, a development block when we're transitioning over into the peaking and then our competition block will more peaking. So we have like this, blocks where we have our specific goals of what we want to do and then within that block we like to use the daily undulating periodization as far as my 
coaching, I kind of like started off on my own. So like I said, just like coaching myself or coaching some friends. And then back then the bodybuilding.com forums were like a bigger forum there and had a powerful thing slash strongman section I used to post on. And so I just post on there like, hey, I'll coach whoever wants me to coach them for free because I want to gain the experience. And then, you know, they get free programming and I can ask them questions and I can use them, you know, as testimonials and all that kind of stuff. So I just started coaching people online for free that way and building up for myself. And, you know, I only got up, got up to a certain point, like let's say maybe 10 to 15 clients, something like that. Then my buddies who have the gym down here in Florida, a couple of them and up in New York, um, they had their own company, you know, Squats and Science and the gym up in New York is called SNS Barbell. And they're like, hey, why don't you come underneath our name? We'll do the gym and we'll do the in-person coaching and you do the online coaching and you'll be on our website. And when we advertise and everything like that, it'll help you. So I was like, okay, let me join with them. I'm still doing my own coaching. Basically, I'm doing the online coaching part of it, but I'm part of a bigger name. So I started doing that and built up from there, you know, 15 to 25 clients, but I was still kind of hitting a limit. It was like difficult for me to get to like 30 clients. Maybe I'd hit it like, you know, one time and kind of drop off a little bit. And so then in uh, end of 2020, beginning of 2021, that's when I was looking into an a other option to try and like, you know, build out further. And John Downing from the Shrink Guys, he's the one I've been friends with for many years and told me like, hey, you know, oftentimes we're hiring new coaches because we have a lot of demand. So if you're interested, then I can connect you with Jason and you guys can get on a call and discuss everything and see what you want to do. So got on a call with them, discussed everything as far as, as what they do and showing what I do. And so I got on with them, I think it was like February 2021. And so now being on a team that's solely focused on online powerful and coaching, then I was able to build it up. And now I'm up to where I put a cap on myself around 40. So I'm usually, you know, around 37 to 41, something like that. So I was able to fill out and become full time coaching by switching to a company like the strength guys. That is a lot of volume, <clears throat> even in, in my opinion, it's still a lot of volume. It's a lot of people to, I mean, you're, you're a project manager for 40 people per week for a long period of time. How do you manage the, the programs? Like, I know that the strength guys has like a template, but how do you manage all of that? It, it definitely is a lot of people. Um, it helps a little bit in that we have um, two b main options for coaching, and I simplify it down into weekly and monthly. So, so some people are responding uh, or sending me emails once a week, and I'm responding to them. And some people are waiting till the end of the block, which is usually four weeks. And so, at the end of the block, they send in their update. So, with all 40 people, you're not constantly having to communicate with them every single week. So, I have a split where it might be more like. 25 of the weekly people and 15 of the monthly people. So it's not like, you know, checking up on every, uh, everyone every single week. But then with the people that are weekly coaching, it is just like, you know, setting up systems like we do have a, a structured file. So all I have to do is, you know, create a new file and already has all the formulas in there. It already has the calendar in there, that kind of stuff. And then being able to build out the programming using that file makes it a little bit easier as far as tracking everything we can track in there. So we have things like a pre-workout survey where people can put in how they're feeling as far as, you know, stress levels, how they're feeling as far as soreness, how they're feeling as far as hydration. So we have those things that um, make the system make it a little bit more efficient for us. And then it's less things we have to go over in the email. So in the email, they send me, you know, other things that are going on. Maybe they have like vacation going on, maybe, um, you know, including whatever videos or questions they have. And so it used to be like, I think like people would say the average is 
one hour per client per week in order to like watch the videos and respond to them and everything like that. But we've been able to drive that time down a little bit by having these systems in place just to make things a little bit more efficient and not have to go back and forth as many emails and that kind of stuff like that. And so that helps us keep track of, uh, of everyone as far as what their training looks like, what their schedule looks like going into a meet, and then what's going on that specific week and what adjustments to make going forward. I love it. And so you get, but you're not only doing, do you only focus with competitors or are you allowing yourself the opportunity to work with people who aren't competing as well? No, every once in a while I do get some people that are, haven't competed before and looking to do their first competition or they haven't competed before and they're not really interested in competing. So I have a, I have a mix. Obviously most of the people that we do get are competitive powerlifters because that's what they're looking for as far as a coach. And we just happen to be one of the names out there when you search or go on Instagram, whatever, but every once in a while we do get some people like looking to do their first meet and uh, I have to like, you know, go over a lot more with them. Sometimes that can be a little more time consuming, especially because online trying to explain to them like, how a meet goes from beginning to end and how to time their warmups and like how to, you know, maybe even load kilogram plates or put notes in there of how to load the plates. And so going a lot more over the basics to like kind of get them through what equipment to buy and everything like that. Um, and then some people are just like, yeah, they're like, I'm not really interested in competing. I just want to get stronger. You guys know how to get people to get stronger. They like doing squat, bench, press and deadlift. And so we just focus on doing some gym tests, whether it's like a one rep max test or AMRAP test to still be able to gauge their strength throughout the year, update their winner maxes, and then repeat the process. What are some methods that you have used in, so you, you mean you use the daily undulating and uh, blocks and, and I know that it's just seems like there's so many different coaches and every coach still has their own way of practicing right and it sounds like tsg kind of allows for that so what is it that you are doing that maybe i don't know necessarily is unique to you but like sure is unique like, i think that a lot of coaches like borrow and steal from each other so I'm, i don't know how like necessarily unique it is unless it really is um but what what is it that you're offering like how, how do you train how do you yeah, i don't think maybe i could be wrong because the hard thing is like there's all these coaches out there and all these teams out there, but you don't always know what exactly their programming is. You can't just go look up a name and be like, okay, here's what their program looks like. A lot of that stuff is like private and behind the scenes. So I don't know exactly what every single coach is doing, but I feel like I'm not doing anything that's necessarily unique. Um, some of the things I might be doing that's different than some other groups is I try to have a little bit more of a higher volume approach and higher frequency approach, but also more of a conservative approach. So I'm not having my lifters, you know, go up to a top single every single week year round. Like it seems like maybe some coaches are. I focus that more when it's closer to the competition during the competition phase or maybe the development and competition phase. Um, in addition, I try not to go as heavy. So some people are, you know, doing RP 10 in the gym the week before the competition. And then they may wonder what happened in their competition. So I try and focus more, you know, the singles being like RP 8. Okay, you're doing an opener this week. RP 8.5, okay, between opener and second attempt. Okay, RP 9, we're doing a second attempt. That's it. We're going to gauge what your attempt selection is going to be off of that second attempt and then go into the competition and actually hit the big weights and the PRs in the competition. So things like that. Farther out from a competition, I focus more on like volume training. And so with my volume training, I like to do building up to higher reps. So let's say if you're doing two times frequency, one, one day might be sets of six, one day sets of four. 
then you shift up to sets of seven and five, and then you shift up to sets of eights and sixes. A lot of people like don't like doing more than five reps when it comes to the power lift. So I like to push it a little more sevens and eights, especially on squat and bench press, maybe one less rep when it comes to the deadlift. And also I like to sometimes do a final set that has more reps. So if you're doing, let's say four sets of four, then the final set would be like one set of five or one set of six. So a lot of people focus on, oh, let me do a top single and then back off sets. But if I'm focusing on a preparatory phase, if I'm focusing on higher volume, I'm building up technique, I'm building up muscle mass, then I'm not focused on that top single and then back off sets. I'm focusing on straight sets and then one final set where you're pushing even harder, a higher RPE, getting that last bit of volume. So those are some things that I feel like there are other coaches out there doing it, but maybe not as much uh, as I think people should be focusing on doing those kind of things rather than people really trying to push the higher intensity um, because you know maybe you can gauge strength better that way. Maybe um, they feel they can hold their strength throughout the year. Maybe they're afraid of going to higher reps like they'll lose their strength. It's also better for like social media to post up you know RP eight or RP nine single rather than doing you know a set of eight at seventy <laughs> percent. I feel like that's a lot of what it is. <laughs> Unfortunately, I you know, um, it, I I had left the the kind of the industry or like not an industry but like the community for a little while, and I was watching all these videos from these people just constantly hitting insane singles or doubles, and like week after week, and I'm like, how is your body still alive? Like it. <laughs> Your, like your recovery has to be impeccable or it's like you're not you're just not doing very much volume per week but i mean like there there's a significant benefit to hypertrophy with when it comes to penation angles and ultimately power output right so we, like having that in there is important and i think that you know i guess you like maybe nuanced but like maybe a little too into the weeds but you have opportunities maybe achieve your hypertrophy through your accessories and then you're able to hit these these insane one rep like 99 9 rpe things week by week but you're you're still getting your hypertrophy it just it just doesn't seem like a very um sustainable practice but it obviously is working for some people out there i just wonder like are we looking at like a year timeline are we looking at a two-year timeline like how long can you like, and not everybody has that genetic potential. I think most people really fall in line with more of the, like the sets of three, five, and then like a daily undulating kind of maintaining and, and having a little bit higher volume at seventies, eighties percent, um, where you can lift until you're 50, 60, 70 years old and it still be safe. You know, that's just, it seems more sustainable in my mind. Yeah, it's definitely hard to gauge. So it's like, yeah, if you took like 100 people and put them on some kind of like, yeah, very high intensity program, it's like, are we only seeing the five people that made it out alive? And like, those are the people we're seeing on social media. And then there's the other aspects too. It's like, you don't always know when that training session happened because people are posting, you know, based on a specific schedule, maybe they want to post their heavy singles on, on the weekend, even though they did it another day. And again, we don't know the whole program. So we don't know necessarily what they're doing on the other days. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's very difficult for me on the outside looking in to know what someone's program is and know exactly how a coach does their their style. And we're only seeing what's being posted on social media by certain lifters. And so, yeah, it's hard to know how effective that strategy is going to be long term uh, and what issues people may run into or people that already ran those issues. We just never, never see them. I just I think that 
I think it just makes sense to have a long and you i think you make a really good point it's like what if it was only the five people that made it out alive um i think that i i would put money on the fact that that is most likely reality with that high intensity type training it just in unless they have a whole team of nutritionists and pts and 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 there are i guess there's some people with that kind of money that are make, that are making it big in in the space that they can do that um but i feel like if you just just kiss it man just keep it simple stupid like especially for those that are like trying to get into the sport as the sport continues to grow just keep it simple like if you really really need to hire a coach but you can go online to bodybuilding.com or you can buy some books and read like a, a do a 531 and see how that goes for you, you know like just just have fun with it when you first start off and keep it simple. Um, no need to get into like super crazy undulating or um, maybe even what's it called? Um, velocity based training. It's, it's a progression to the point where you are more experienced, like, like yourself, you can, you can manage an athlete like that, or you can manage your own training like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, our, our sport or industry like follows those same issues that like any other industry does is like, yeah, people want to know like, Oh, this, this coach have the the magic you know exercise is going to get me stronger like is this like the best variation that i should be doing like you know the reverse hyper used to be very popular for a while the belt squat was very popular for a while like okay you know if everyone does belt squats now you'd be hitting a world record squat so like yeah there there will always be that stuff um and powerlifting and people trying to find it and jumping from coach to coach to try and find it um but yeah like you said keeping it simple focusing on the basics that's what i like to do and then just you know over time just building the person up over time they're going to get more competition practice and experience over time they're going to get more muscle mass over time you know they're going to be able to handle more volume and frequency and they're just going to be building up their strength it's it's a long-term play for both the coach and the athlete and i think that in in maybe not an inexperienced but an uneducated athlete that comes in they're like i'm gonna start hitting like 50 60 kilo prs within you know several months now that i have a coach and it's like well well let's let's slow down a little bit like maybe if you're brand spanking you and you haven't lifted a bar sure it makes sense but it it's like just it allows i think just having being open to the coach and then having a good coach who's willing to listen right like that's that's the biggest thing it's like are you listening and paying attention to your people? Like, are you doing that at least, you know? Yeah, that, that's definitely another issue is the, the, yeah, the goal setting and people setting like, oh, I, you know, I hit 405 this week. Oh, I can't wait to hit 500 by the end of the year. Like, eh, that's not necessarily how it works. It depends on, you know, what level you're at and your body weight and everything like that. It might take years to get to a 500 pound squat or whatever. And so, yeah, sometimes with my clients too, I have to kind of like pull them back and be like, listen, like, and, and I, I had did the same things when I, when I was younger. So I understand like, you know, when I pulled like 475 Delif, I'm like, oh, next time I'm getting 500 and I would go and try 500 and, and miss. And like next time 500, go and pull 500 and miss next. And I just kept messing until I just like, okay, I'm going to switch now and just do five pound PRs until I get to 500 and eventually 500 came. Um, so yeah, I do have to pull back on some of my clients and Sometimes it's me trying to like estimate where their strength will progress just based on my experience, but also trying to get like outside resources. So sometimes Greg Knuckles uh, from Stronger by Sciences put out some information about like, you know, if it takes you, let's say, four months to put 30 pounds on your squat, most likely like the next time it's going to take you double the amount of time to make the same amount of progress. So now you're going to take you eight months to put 
30 pounds on your squat. Or some people are like, oh, I put 30 pounds on in four months. I'm going to put another 30 pounds at four months. Another, like, no, that's not quite how it happens. Um, and also there's a, a buddy of mine from Costa Rica who's taken like all the data from open powerlifting and looked at people who have done, you know, multiple meets and tried to uh, kind of make like a trend line of how much can you progress in 12 months based on your current numbers. So he's developing a website. He showed it to me, but he hasn't kind of made it public yet. But like if you say, okay, I have a 400 kilogram total right now in 12 months time based on everyone else's data when they had 400 kilos, what was their number in 12 months? So then you'd be like, okay, on average, it was 425. So then I can go to someone and say, hey, listen, you're a 400 kilo total. You think you can hit 500 kilos in six months. But the data shows that all these hundreds of other lifters before you only put 25 kilos on in that amount in 12 months, whatever. So I, I can use those to try and get like a better gauge of where someone's progression is going to be and kind of get better goals for them. Because then once they see they're hitting those goals, then that's when they, you know, they stay motivated. They keep staying in the sport and keep progressing rather than like, oh, man, I didn't hit 500 kilos, whatever like that. Like, oh, I'm never going to be the best, whatever. And they just quit. What a cool tool. That's insanely useful for coaches and for athletes and managing expectations. That's one of the hardest things to do. And what a, I can't wait till it comes out. I want to, I want to be involved in like just using it. I want to be able to use it with, with athletes. I don't really coach nearly as much anymore, um, but it, it would be cool to even just get to play around with it. I'm, I'm sorry, but you're just like, you're not, you're probably just not that unique. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds of, of people. You can probably trust this trend unless you really do respond that well. Some people really do. They're just insane athletes and you can be an anomaly, but maybe like, let's, let's set the goal here. And if we hit that four or five, six weeks in there, or like, you know, if, if the goal is 12 months over and we hit it in six months and maybe we have something here, maybe we are, we're all. It could also be that we're peaking too fast, right? It could, there's a lot of telltales that we can use that data for and like, oh shit, I have a really good athlete here, right? I have, I have an athlete who can really make it big um, or, I, you know, I have an athlete who's going to really take some time or, or, or I'm peaking too fast, right? It gives a lot of really cool data to the coach and to the athlete. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that's just like a trend line or an average. You can be above. And so, okay, what are the things you're doing to be above? Like, you know, are you on a good program? Are you like, you know, on top of your nutrition? Are you maybe in a caloric surplus, which could actually benefit you even further? Um, what's your sleep like and stuff like that? But also you can be below average. So like, you know, are you in a caloric deficit trying to go down a weight class? Well, then your your numbers may uh, struggle that way. Or are you, you know, slacking off and partying too much in, in college and stuff like that? So it goes both ways. Everyone wants to look at, well, I can beat the average, whatever. Like, but what if you don't? What if you're below average based on these other factors or genetics or just, you know, how long you've been training and that kind of stuff like that? But yeah, definitely another benefit of these recent years is like, you know, websites like Open Powerlifting where you can get so many meat results in there. And then whoever wants to go in there can download all the data for free and do whatever research they want to do it, whether it's on attempt selection, whether it's on progression. Um, you could probably even look at like, how long people have stuck around the sport, all kinds of things like that, that make it uh, interesting. Just as someone involved in the sport, just to see the stats, but then also like, yeah, as a coach, if you want to try and use it to your benefit. For free? Yeah. Dude, that yeah. data is not free anymore. Like everyone should go take advantage of that right now. <laughs> you know, like data is becoming, I mean, that's, that's where everything is moving and it's going to continue to move that way. And 
it makes sense why, right? If you have, if you can have better data, I think I, I look at it in terms of like SEO. If I can have more data on how I'm search, how I'm doing some search and optimization for my either podcast or posts or anything like that on my website, then I, I can attract more of an audience, and more of an audience means uh, more opportunity for sponsorship, right? It's like the, the same idea. Of over on the powerlifting side, if you have all this extra data, it just makes you that much better of a coach, man. It's that's that's insanely resourceful or useful, valuable. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah, and and you know, part of it is because again, our sports very like uh, people like to volunteer and step up. So a lot of people on open powerlifting just volunteer, you know, their time to whatever federation is. Okay, I'm going to be in charge of this federation. I'm going to take the meet results, make sure it's right. formatted correctly, and submit it on their own time. And also you can always donate. So people who have like a different color name on open Powell thing or whatever animation they're donating monthly. And so those donations help to go, you know, keep the servers and keep the website and everything like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's cool that you have a free resource like that, where you can, even if you don't want to go and analyze the data, you can just go look up someone's name and, and see what their best numbers are going into world and seeing, you know, what kind of attempts they make and everything like that and just build a strategy that way. Um, versus before you're like, okay, these people are showing up the world. I don't have any data on them. I have no idea what they can hit. I have no idea how many meets they've done. And we just kind of have to play our own game. So it's it's changing uh, very much uh, in these recent years. I think, and to be fair, even though there is definitely value to having all the data, there's also, a, I, you know, I'm not having it when I was, you know, or at least maybe not paying attention to it when I was like, started to lift. It was this like idea of like I just gotta ultimately focus on myself. Like I can worry about what all these other people are doing, but at the end of the day, if I'm not taking care of my job, my responsibilities, then I'm not gonna perform and I'm not gonna meddle. But if I worry about what I'm doing and how I'm taking care of myself, and, and uh, am I am I am I think just in general taking care of myself, right? Am I am I doing all the right things? Am I taking care of my mobility? Am I finding the right coach or am I learning how to advance my own training skills and, and how my my templates are going to look? And then then I'm going to be better. I don't have to worry about the next person over. And I think that I had a speech recently talking about the podcast and I said in, in the speech, like, I, I, don't, I, didn't never, I never worried about second place, which I think can sound very condescending, but at the same time, if I'm looking out at other people worrying about what they're doing, then I think it, it sometimes, it's not always, sometimes will take away from what I'm doing here in the moment. I think it can be useful whenever we're using other coaches or other athletes as a, a set of data and like they're, they're helping me grow and add to my, and into my either mobility or my attempt selections or, you know, like they're adding value to my system. I think fantastic. Otherwise, you know, like, what, why am I looking to it, it, I don't know if it's that benef beneficial at times. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for, for many things like, you know, taking it to one extreme or the other can be bad. So if you have, you take it to too far to extreme, obviously it can have negative effects, especially like the more of a beginner you are or the less competitive you are. So like when you look at other sports, like, you know, UFC, we're talking about NFL, whatever, they're looking at old footage and they're researching everything on the on the team they're going against and the players and everything like that because they're at the highest level and they're trying to win and do whatever it takes to win. And they have all these coaches and interns and everything like that that will collect everything and look at all the stuff. But if you're just like starting out in like high school football or like middle school football or 
doesn't really matter what the other team is doing. You have to like work on yourself. Like you said, learn the fundamentals, you know, make sure you're getting your sleep in, make sure you're eating enough, everything like that to be able to get that point. So same thing. If you're just starting on in powerlifting or you're not competitive at the national, international level, you don't really have to focus on researching other people and what's going on with other people. You just focus on yourself, get stronger, make attempts, everything like that. But then once you are the top level person trying to compete at a world or a Sheffield or USAPL pro series and stuff like that, it can help to go and look into those little extra things and see if you can find some kind of a strategy or an edge to, you know, give yourself a benefit in that competition. And a lot of times it comes down for your coach to do it. So the lifters should still be focusing on their training and everything revolving around their training. You have the coach do that research. And even if you have a big enough team, like for us, oftentimes we have either one coach do it for a championship or maybe like an intern or someone do it. And so like, it's not taking away from my time to go research a bunch of people for a national championship, or whatever like that, we have someone else do it for us. Um, that's like working for us on the side. And then they collect everything and then present all the information to us. And then we see whether we can use it to our benefit when it comes time. I, I, I think even, I think especially as, as somebody who's a high school or like a novice competitor uh, or state level, regional level competitor, it, it's definitely important to focus on yourself. Um, but even at the, I'm, I'm no Taylor Atwood, but I mean, I, I competed at Worlds, you know, a couple of times and, and got medaled and, and nationals, the whole thing. And even then, I, st- it's, I, I rarely worried about uh, necessarily other lifters. I cared more about other coaches or I cared more about um, uh, like uh, other ad- adjacent um, individuals like uh, uh, Smashworks was one of the guys that I followed quite a bit. Love Smashworks. Great content. I, I got a lot of more mobility things from him. Or Kelly Starrett. I, I got a lot of stuff from him as well. It's like, I'm going to use things adjacent to ultimately help me in, in my space. And I, I can, at the same time, I can see how there's value to seeing how uh, maybe somebody else makes attempt selections. Like if I, if I noticed that um, last year national champion usually makes 10 to 15 kilo jumps up until the third attempt. And now they're only making two and a half to five kilo jumps. I can kind of gauge on where I should be like mentally as an athlete, if I should be so worried um, either I'm either they're starting high or starting low. I can kind of understand, okay, well, they're only going to make, you know, these two jumps and then they fall off pretty hard and uh, there's a high risk. They don't get that third attempt. And then, so I can now maneuver my attempt selections to make sure that I get the most out of my three and put myself above them. So I see how it can be valuable in that way. Uh, but I still think like if, if I have a coach and he wants to do it, then all day go for it, man. But otherwise I think as an athlete, it's like, take care of what you're doing and, and put in good hard work and it's going to come through. It's going to show, you know, like even if you're on the third, you know, you make it to the third uh, place and, or at least you got onto the podium this year and then you can go back and reassess, okay, what do I need to do either more or better? Or where could I have, have gone? Uh, what did my peak look like this time in comparison to last time, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, the, the, the less the athlete can focus on, the better. It's like they should just focus on himself and try to have a coach do it. But yeah, it, it comes down to personality. You have like the athlete that's like a very hype lifter or the person who's more chill. Yeah, the person who's like looking at all the Instagram videos of their competitor going into a competition versus the one that doesn't really care. Uh, and then also during the competition, a person's looking at the scoreboard saying, what's going on? What's going on? Are we winning or whatever? Or the person who just doesn't even worry about what's going on, let their coach do it. So some of it, yeah, it comes down to personality. But yeah, the less that the athlete can worry about, like don't worry about 
looking on Instagram, what your competitor is doing and what their body weight is and what their top single was. So you can do a heavier top single this week. And then during the competition, going over and looking at the scoreboard and stuff like that to see what's going on. Why'd you put this number in or this, that is like, yeah, take all that stress away and just, yeah, focus on yourself. What can you do to uh, make yourself better and just, you know, hit your numbers. And then, yeah, depending on the level of the competition and the coach and everything, they can focus on those, uh, those uh bigger things but yeah that's kind of like the another one of the differences uh now and then is like before yeah you necessarily couldn't look up meet results for your competitor you couldn't necessarily go on instagram and see where your competitor is hitting you know especially for equipped like okay where are they hitting straps down where are they hitting straps up what equipment are they wearing what's their body weight is it going to affect them are they hitting good depth and stuff like that uh and so you just have to focus more on yourself like let me just come in as strong as possible lift as much as possible and see if i can just beat everyone and now it's yeah it's becoming more of like okay what's this person doing oh i'm going to post up a heavier single that's showing that i can do more or whatever uh and those kind of things <laughs> that's that just seems ridiculous it's hilarious but it, it's like this old like beef within itself it's cool but it's at, it's at the same time it just sounds ridiculous at the same time yeah <laughs> Oh, man, I love it. It's 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 a cool community to be a part of. And if you're not a powerlifter, you should go be a powerlifter. At least do go do one meet. If you're listening in, and if you are already lifting, then you know keep on doing your thing. But as I think, as, my goal is to continue to to be in multiple different areas and not just in powerlifting. I want to get athletes from all different types and all coaches of all different types. I think that the squat, bench, and deadlift can teach a lot in a in a geriatric population. There, there's a lot of um, physiological benefits and a lot of neuromuscular benefits. And then, and you know, like, and then there's a community benefit. Like there's, there's a lot of reasons to, to even do something as, as static or as linear as a squat bench and deadlift, right? I think it's more accessible than, than a snatch or a clean and jerk because it's so complex. Even though people do say the, the, the snatch and the clean and jerk are, are more complex. I think that they're more dynamic at times, not necessarily more complex, because if you look at the, the mechanics and the form behind a bench, that's complex. And be able to execute under pressure and load and in a con like and to follow all the rules, it's it's a complex movement. So I, I I'm leaning less and less towards the idea that it's a more complex movement. It's just you know, I did it for six months to kind of get the idea and I hit a hundred kilo snatch within the six months and I was like, okay, like Yes, difficult, but at the same time, like learnable, very, very learnable if you have the right coach. Same thing with the squat, bench, and deadlift. If you have a terrible coach, you're probably not going to be getting the best form. You're not going to be getting, even if it just comes down to technique, outside of the 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 world of, of like the programming, if, if you don't have a good coach can even do that, then like, you know, you're not going to do well. And it's the same thing in, in any sport and anything. So I think that the reason I gravitate towards obviously because I have a uh, uh, background in it, but at the same time, it's like there's a, there's so many benefits to to even just going to your local gym and hanging out with a couple buddies and squatting, benching, and deadlifting a couple times a week and never competing. Like it's immense value and it changed my life. Like I I love love the I, I found the sports, but I love the gym and what it does for our community. Yeah, definitely. And with um, when it comes to like Olympic weightlifting, uh, I think a lot of it could be like 
it's because it takes more mobility. And in general, like we have less mobility these days. So a lot of people can't do an overhead squat or can't like, you know, catch a clean because they just don't have the mobility for it. So like that makes it more difficult. And then from there it just becomes, yeah, like a person to person. Like for me, for example, I always had more trouble when it came to like coordination of your feet and hands at the same time. So like a bench is easy for me because like your, your whole body is just stable on the bench and you're just moving your arms or like, you know, for a deadlift, you're just moving your legs. But then when you tell me, okay, now do a clean and you have to triple extend and pull with the arms and catch it, then that's like when it gets more confusing for me. But yeah, for some people like, you know, a, a low bar back squat can be very difficult for them to figure out the position of the bar and the bar not roll and getting the proper depth and not tipping over too much and everything like that. So yeah, it just depends on the person, but it definitely beneficial for all kinds of populations. And yeah, especially for older populations, as you said, like one of the, the biggest like benefits or things that can be most beneficial for you as you get older is the more muscle mass you have. It's like you're going to be able to burn more calories and you're going to be able to stop yourself from falling over, which is a big thing with the older populations, everything like that. So if you can get into lifting earlier and continue lifting throughout your, your life, or if you start late, you can still be able to put on some more muscle mass. It's going to really help you. So here in Florida, we do have a, a big older population when it comes to powerlifting. And so a lot of those people, you know, they're training even just two or three times a week. Like I have a master's forward that only trains three times a week. But again, it's going to be better than the person who's not doing any lifting. They're going to be able to put on more muscle mass and strength, hold it for a longer time, and it's going to be able to, you know, extend their, their life and, you know, avoid, you know, uh, injuries and things like that. Um, so yeah, definitely beneficial for all kinds of populations. It's, it's more structured too compared to like bodybuilding um, where, you, you know, it's a little bit more of a um, per personal perspective on, you know, should you be bigger? Should you be leaner? Should you, you know, be bigger here, upper body, lower body? Powerlifting is okay. This is your one or max. Let's see one year later, what's your one or max? One year later, what's your one or max? And just keep, you know, building, building it up, building it up. And for some people, you know, maybe the simple aspect to it or monotony can eventually get boring but uh, for some people they just like chipping away at it so like we had mentioned jen thompson and dave ricks they just year after year like chipping away at it and just keep going keep trying to improve themselves um and yeah even if you're not going to compete you can still do it as far as like holding yourself to standards in the gym and if it does get boring and you're not competing, you can always try out different things. Like you try out weightlifting or you can try out, you know, different variations of squats, different variations of pressing, overhead pressing, that kind of stuff that will still build muscle, still build strength. And you can just keep, you know, the gym exciting. It's, oh man, there's so much there. So yeah, I think <laughs> we need, we need more mobility in our lives. Every, even powerlifters need more mobility. I think that in today's we we just i think the sitting is not helpful i think just the, the lack of stretching it's the sitting it's one thing but the lack of self-care in terms of like stretching and getting down into a squat and like just having other things and other people do things for us like even if it's as simple as getting meals shipped to you spending time in the kitchen and using those those intrinsic tissues that those, those smaller muscles like all of that adds up and it's whoop, Arian's browser preventing recording. Um, if you can refresh your browser for whatever reason, it says um, to refresh it. Alrighty, having a technical issue. We will have Arian back here in a moment.
Cool. Hey, you're back. Yeah, can you hear me? Yep, sure can. Not sure what happened. I don't know. It just it says um I don't know if this is I, I it looks like it's still recording. It just says Arian's browser preventing recording. That's weird. But but I think I think it looks like you're back in and that, that so I think I think we're good. Um how many so you said you have a master four lifter. Do you train your master four lifter significantly different than you do your um maybe your your IPF uh, I don't know, like opens or juniors and, and do you train them any differently? Yeah, he's someone who started um more recently with we me as well. So whenever someone starts with me, you know, depending on you know the exact circumstances, but usually it's like you slowly transition them to what you want the end goal to be. You don't just jump to it. So it's going to take some time anyways to kind of like if you're trying to build up their work capacity or if you're slowly trying to transition to more your style. So he's kind of new. So I'm trying to transition some small things. But even then, yeah, it's very limited from uh, he had competed, you know, when he was younger for many years and then took time off during his career and now kind of started back up. And yeah, now he's his master's four and he's going, you know, 70, 71, 72, getting older. It can be more difficult to hold on the muscle, more difficult to recover, um, dealing with some different, you know, shoulder impingement issues, those kind of things. So yeah, you, you can only sometimes change so much. And so he kind of has an idea of like how many sets per lift he can do in a session and how many he can do per week. So we're really kind of like, you know, sticking to that. It's like, okay, let's only do three sets of bench or two sets of squat for a particular session because if we push the volume too much then he's going to run into some issues so kind of just sticking to that same approach that he's been doing during certain weeks because i like to manipulate the volume from week to week so we might build up the volume for three weeks straight to like a peak volume week and then take a deload so during that like building up i might throw in you know one more set than what he's used to to see how he reacts to it and if he can handle it fine, then I know, okay, there are certain times, depending on his fatigue levels, where I can throw in a little bit more volume than he's used to, and he can still recover from it. But he might not be able to do high volume week after week because it's, it's going to just, you know, run into issues. So different things like that. And, um, you know, just making sure that the recovery going into, into the meat is good because sometimes it's tougher for them to recover. And so you may have to do the heavier singles farther out. Um, even like when I went to, I think it was my first Worlds in 2014, and we were taking the shuttle um, over to the hotels and everything like that, and some of the Masters lifters were there. Some of them were like so worried about getting injured like right before the meet and not being able to compete. Is like they would go easier actually, like closer to the meet, and sometimes they would take an entire week off. Where like, you know, a lot of lifters now are like, oh, no, I can't possibly take a week off. I maybe take two days off. And so they would take an entire week off because – the worst thing that can happen to them is they're doing some training session the week of or after they travel to wherever Worlds is and boom, you're injured and now you're out. Um, for them, like as long as they can, you know, have, you know, decent strength to where they're at, um, they could possibly still win their competitions if they're only going up, up against a couple people or maybe they're not going against anyone. They're just going after some world, some world records and they like traveling and everything like that. And so they really play more conservative and taper things off and just make sure they can make it to the meet. Where, where was your first Worlds? Uh, was uh, South Africa was the 2014 Classic Worlds. Nice. I went to oh, you, you said 2014. I was like, I went to Hungary in 2014 for Worlds, and I was like, I don't remember seeing your face there. But I mean, I, I could have just missed it, you know. Uh, but classics. 
Yeah, I was, I was more focused on the uh, classic Ross side for a while and also the North American championships. But when Jason had mentioned to you uh, in our group chat initially, I was like, oh, I, I know that name. It kind of sounds familiar. So when I looked it up and we have been at a couple of meets before. So I think it was like hey. 2018 Open Nationals um, yeah. was like I, my only equipped nationals that I did for full power. And we were both there. I was 105s, though. You were uh, 93s. And then... It was like the sub junior junior worlds in Orlando again as well, um, where I was helping out Robert Kell run the meet and you were there competing. So we've been at a couple of meets together, but yeah, I've never been to too many of the junior worlds when it was equipped only. I, I loved, I mean, I still love equipped. I, it's just, it's, it just seems like raw is, is really what allows the, 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 the sport to grow, but it, I just, I love, I love being at meets, man. It's just one of the coolest experiences. It's, I I, I uh, was a I handled one of my athletes recently and at the Aggie at the Aggie powerlifting meet here in Call Station and uh, it was so invigorating. I was like, oh man, I gotta get back. Like <laughs> I just I gotta I gotta be around it again, man. It's just it's oh it's just it's an itch that you just you know, it just feels so good to be around. Yeah, it's it's definitely different because I did raw for you know five to seven years, whatever. And I'm like, all right, let me try out some of this equipped stuff, especially more. I wanted to try out from like a coaching aspect to say like, I've done everything. So I've done like push pull meets. I've done bench only meets. I've done raw meets. I've done equipped meets. I can be like, okay, listen, I've, I've tried like all the different aspects of it. So I was like, okay, what stuff can I get? So like some of the people here uh, in Florida kind of like gave me some hand-me-down shirts and suits and wraps and stuff like that. And I would try it out by myself. I would just like set the safeties really high and the stuff I can kind of get in by myself. And I would just try it out. And I did uh, uh, the uh, Southeast Regionals American Open when I was down here in Florida, qualified for nationals, did nationals, and then also did some uh, bench nationals equipped. Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's a different style uh, to training. It's a different style to attempt selection. It's a different style as far as the coach being much more involved with wrapping knees and doing all this kind of stuff like that. So it's it definitely interesting. It's fun. And I've ease some people into it like some loose shirts whenever i go on a trip i just get one of my clients or like a friend like hey just put this shirt on see how it feels and then if you don't like the feeling you could take it off if you like the feeling we'll go a little bit heavier we'll go a little bit heavier and see what you can do and some people are like oh that was pretty fun and some even got into it um we did like bench worlds when it was in japan um uh, you know equipped so i had some raw lifters and some equipped lifters some of them did bench nationals before that as well so some people did try it out um from just, you know, getting in a loose shirt and seeing what it's like and, and enjoying it. So um, hopefully it, it, I think it should stick around as, a, you know, an, an outlet for some people who want to do raw, they can do raw. Some people want to do equipped, they can do equipped, um, especially some people believe, I don't know, because I didn't do it long enough. Some people believe it helps, you know, uh, avoiding injuries or working around injuries. Like Blaine Sumner says, you know, he has his labrums and both of his hips messed up. It's hard for him to lift raw, but the suit helped give him the support in order to continue to uh, compete as equipped. So it's good to still have the option around. I think it definitely helps with, with that. And it also helps with, um, oh man, uh, I, I think there's such a focus on technique that if when you get out of, there, there's just less room for error, right? I can, I can squat and like muscle it up if I'm raw. If I, or I think a bench is probably a, a better comparison. If, if I, I can muscle up, if my elbows flare a little bit, I can probably still maintain okay um but if i touch wrong on a bench 
and I'm too low or too high, that bar is coming into my face or going down to my belly. Like there's a, there's just such a small room for error that I feel like be, it made me into a better coach at be, being a um being an equipped athlete. It's just like all those little details, they matter so much in equipped that it, I just, I, I feel like I kind of brought that over into training raw athletes or general population. It's like, we're going to take things slow. We're going to make sure that all these things are looking pretty. Bar path looks good. Um, ultimately, because it decreases your risk of injury. And, and I think it made me a better coach. But very rarely do people go from, like, I, I feel like, go raw to equipped. So kudos. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's some people, yeah, over the years that maybe like, oh, let me let me try it out, and and they've made the switch, um, like a, even in other countries, like uh, Tony Cliff for Great Britain, you know, he was a raw lifter and switched over to equipped. Uh, some people would do, you know, one or time one time here or there, like Christopher's Bicky for Poland when World Games was in Poland, he's like, okay, I'll switch over to equipped and try it out. And so, yeah, some people don't make the switch these days because yeah, they don't know the equipment or have anyone that can help them. They see these big numbers, the other lifters doing like, Oh, I don't know if I can do those same numbers. Um, and they're maybe just feel like, okay, I'm competitive enough in raw. I'll just stay there. But for me, I was like, yeah, I want to try it as a coach. I want to see what it's like and get the experience to be able to tell someone, you know, this is the stuff that you should get, or this is what I would recommend and, or what you shouldn't do as far as technique, that kind of stuff. And as far as the technique, the actual technique I use, like my stance width on squat or my grip width on bench, my touch point may be different for raw versus equipped, but there are, yeah, some technical aspects it still helps you with as far as like how to brace properly and really fight against that weight to hold your position. Um, even just being able to like hold your breath long enough. Cause now it's like a longer time for the descent and everything like that. Um, and like not f stressing out or like freaking out. Like when you're trying to touch in a tight bench shirt and it's like, taking long for that last little bit you just have to stay patient stay in the position stay focused and execute and not just like freak out and just like dump at the wrong place or something like that so it really like teaches you like under a stressful load how to like stay calm and pay attention to like the position you're in and be able to execute rather than kind of like giving up too quick and then falling out of position just to like hit depth or whatever I like that. You said New York and Florida. Are, do you do you reside in New York? Why, why are you doing um, meets out in, in both areas? Now, I, I live in Miami, but for some time, um, I was doing the meets up in New York just because my buddy who was part of the weightlifting club, he was a president, he moved from Florida up to New York. And so a few of my friends opened up a couple of gyms there. So uh, my one buddy who has a, g a couple of gyms down here, Boynton Barbell Center and Broward Barbell Center, opened up some gyms up there as well, up in New York City and uh, Brooklyn area. And so they're all kind of connected. And also, like, they knew I knew how to run meets. And so, like, hey, why don't you just fly up and run the meet for us? And, you know, we'll split the, the profits. Same thing with the gyms down here. I just split the profits with them. Uh, and so I would just go up there and run meets for them. And uh, now they've kind of like learned how to do it on their own. So now they have um, some members of the gym that, that run the meet up there. But I've also done it up for my buddy up in Tallahassee who has the gym now um, next to Florida State. Is like one year Robert Keller went up there and helped them run the meet. A couple of years I went up there and helped them run the meet. And now he's kind of learned on his own and now he can just run the meet. Is it your goal to ever like, I mean, you've, you've been a national coach. Are you still a national coach? No, once they did the the switch, uh, I didn't take the uh, position. It was more of a timing issue. They wanted me to take the position before nationals happened last year, and I didn't know how 
well my lifter was going to do, whether he was going to go to Worlds or not. So if my lifter, Jonathan Garcia, who did end up going to Worlds last year, was going to go to Worlds, I was going to go to Worlds with him. But if he didn't make the team, I was going to go to USAPL Nationals in Vegas and coach my lifters there instead. So I don't want to commit to being the head coach and going coaching lifters at Worlds that aren't my lifters while my lifters, you know, at Vegas, like, yeah, what the hell is going on? So I had to like decline just because of the timing issue. So we'll see in the future if it happens again or not. But, you know, I did my time as far as an assistant, well, at first, like as a personal coach in 2014 and then assistant for a few years and then the head coach for a few years. So if I don't do it again, at least, you know, I got the experience and it was a fun time. I mean, that's, uh, it's, it seems so cool to be a national coach. I mean, it, it's, at least to add to your like resume, you know, if that's like just something that you get to add to your experience that you've had, it's just, it's cool to, to have made it to that point. It's just, it's like a dream for a lot of coaches to even have that idea of a title, you know? So I think it's, it's once you get to the level where you have all the people around you are like national coaches or these very well-known um, coaches in the space, like Jason, it's like, it becomes almost like a, like a mute point, but, but it's not like it's, it's maybe it's normal for like the elite level people to, to kind of see that and be like, Oh, well, yeah, that's just like, he's just a national coach. But like to people that are coming up, they're like, man, dude, you're a national coach. It's insane. You're like, Oh yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I guess once you're, once you're around enough, like that stuff becomes normal. So yeah, like to me, it's like, Oh, you know, I was a national coach, you know, I was an assistant. I've gone to these different places for worlds for North American championships as well. And then, yeah, some people are like, Oh my God, you were the national coach for USA, especially like, uh, my parents are from Iran. So when I meet the uh, Iranian team at worlds and they see that a, a Iranian guy is the head coach for USA, they're all like, Oh my God, that's so amazing. And they're, they're like shocked and stuff like that. And for me, I'm like, Oh, it's just normal. I was just the head coach never, but yeah, definitely, definitely a, a great experience, a, a learning experience as far as like being able to work with and handle people that aren't your clients. So it's like one thing when someone you're a client and you know everything, and you you know, they trust you and everything like that. It's another thing. It's like, okay, someone else is being coached by someone else. Just like I, I try and compare like, okay, you know, basketball, NBA, you know, they're being coached by whoever on their team. Then when they go to Olympics, there's a separate coach, coach K, whoever it is for USA, um, that specific year that then has to put the team together and come up with a strategy and do all the personalities and stuff like that to, to win the Olympics. So same thing for us. It's like, um, it was interesting in that aspect, but there's always, you know, some downsides too. some people think like, you know, it's all, it's all fun, but, you know, trying to hunt some of these people down to fill out the paperwork on time or pay for things on time, or, Hey, send me what you want as far as your game plan from your coach. And then also just like at the meet itself, it's like, Oh my God, you went to South Africa, you went to Finland, you went to here. It's like, yeah, but uh, most of the time I was at the venue all day, every day coaching, not going around and vacationing. So it wasn't all fun and games. It's work. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you're working. <laughs> That's cool, man. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm super thankful to have you, like, have you on today and finally get a face to the name and kind of get a, get a personality behind the face. I, I've, I've known, again, who you, who you are for, for a while now. I just, I don't know, just ne- never had the opportunity to chat or an opportunity never came up. And so I'm glad that it did. And I'm glad that Jason set this up. Um, I, just any any plugs that you want to give i think we're we're gonna we're gonna go and call it any any plugs that you want to you want to hand out i mean obviously the strength guys you know thank you for having a bunch of us coaches on so you kind of get yeah the different personalities from each of us maybe a little bit of a different style programming from each of us um so yeah i mean i'm 
I'm pretty much full, but if everyone wants to sign up with me, they can always reach out and I can always see whenever I have a slot available or always you can just, you know, go to one of our coaches who does have space because we do have some coaches that have slots available. So you can just go to strengthguys.com. And obviously, I thank you to having me on specifically. It was definitely fun. And yeah, it's interesting. It's a it's a small sport. So like, okay, well, yeah, we were at, you know, open nationals competing, you know, possibly in the same session, but not in the same division. Um, we were both, you know, in Worlds in Orlando. And so we've been around each other. And I've probably like seen you lift some in, in some of the competition stuff. But yeah, now we like officially met, put, put a, you know, a face and a personality to the name and everything like that. And so it's interesting. It just happened to be Jace like, hey, who wants to go on this podcast? And it's like, oh, I've been at some meets with this guy before. <laughs> it's cool, man. I'm, gl- I'm glad that it worked out. I'm going to go ahead and end the call and then or I'm going to end the recording and stay on the call. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. Love y'all. Appreciate it. Share, th- share it with everybody. Love you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Ben Nevados podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes.